Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One of the coolest day trips from Kansas City is Weston, Missouri. They have such a great, unique downtown and so much history, and it really shines this time of year with the holidays. Diane Houston and myself sit down and talk about our trip to Weston, Missouri, and some of the great things we experienced. Well, you and I had the opportunity to visit one of the coolest places, Diane, I think, in the area in in Weston. And every time I go up there, I'm like, man, I'd love to live up here in Weston. But typical, like, I guess, Missouri, Kansas, Midwest type of history, nobody knows who the hell found it and how it got to be where it is. Why is everything in this area so dang confusing? Because a lot of people didn't stick around to tell their story. They all went west. That's my answer. I don't know. You're right, because I thought for sure when I was doing the history of Weston and looking into it, that it should be like an ironclad story. Like, this town has been here. It's old. It's it's established. It's got great, you know, houses. And it's just such a, it's the best quaint little town near Kansas City. It has to have a solid history to it. And I'm like, what the hell is all of this nonsense? But it's true. It's because a lot of those early, and I don't think that people really thought at the time when things were being quote unquote founded, a lot of things were founded that don't exist now. So I don't know if anybody ever thought this place would, you know, live on even today. So maybe that's why. Well, you know, we went up there and and obviously we did the holiday tour of homes and had a good time doing that. You you get to, you know, see how much history truly is in this area from the civil war to, you know, to everything that, you know, kind of brought this country together. And I thought walking through a lot of those houses that we saw just buy houses up in West with all the different signs, you realize how much of America was kind of shaped here as well. I don't think we give this part of the country enough credit for kind of shaping the way that this country, you know, became, if you will, there was a lot of stuff that happened here that was key in to kind of developing America. Seriously, and especially as you consider going out West, you know, and we, we talked a little bit about this when we were walking along about where you grew up and, you know, cause you, you grew up with history oozing around you because you grew up in the, in the Northeast. And when, mm-hmm. when you have that history all the time, it is unusual that someone in, in, you are unusual. So we all know that, but right. you get a little unusual that you especially really embrace our history, considering it's kind of new compared Mm -hmm. to the Northeast. So you go to the Northeast, there's historic homes all over the place. A lot of them aren't even labeled. You might not even be able to tell they're that old. And in Weston, it's like, and we noticed this when we were walking along on the streets that, you know, when you get off the beaten path off of Main Street, there are a lot of homes that still have these labels of, you know, when they were built, 1847, 1851, 1854. And some of them look like they're about to fall down. And, and, but, but then they're next to something that's been 
beautifully preserved. And so we still have a lot of work to do in this area of, per, of preservation. And I know that in general, if you live in Weston, we talked about this, if you live in Weston, like I'm not going to move into a, you know, a manufactured ranch home built in 1974. Right. I'm going to like, give me the old house. I, I want a story with my house. Um, and, and I think that most people that live in Weston and choose to commute to Kansas city to work and stuff like that, um, embrace their town's history, even though it's really an elusive history. Well, and, and you say, give me a, give me a house with a story and you can go up and down, not, not just main street, but you know, a lot of the other houses and see houses with a story. Oh, this one has yeah. this story. This one has that story. And one of the stories that I think is, is, is really cool about some of the houses. Like they all had somebody famous, like sleep there for a night. <laughs> and, and so they've all become like, you know, these preserved houses. And, and you think about that and that's clearly not something that, you know, we do today, like, you know, one of the houses we got the, the tour was the Stoner house. And, you know, one of the, the stories behind the Stoners was the fact that Harry S. Truman spent a night in that house. Like that seemed to be the thing back in the day yeah. where presidents and people like head of states and things like that would be on, I, I don't know, bareback or carriage or whatever the case may be. They needed a place to stay for the night. And here they are showing up at people's homes and saying, I need a room. I mean, like almost every house, it seemed like at Weston had somebody stay there for the night that was somehow famous and it's become this historic landmark. Right. And this one is documented, which is very unusual because to be clear, when Harry S. Truman, the house that we were talking about, Calvert Stoner house was probably my favorite of our tour that we took, but um, in very Victorian 1906, it's not even that old 1906 right. for Weston's like brand new. And so, but it's beautiful and it's well-preserved and the owners, you can tell, take, you know, extreme care of their home. Um, and when this house was built by William Calvert, he, he was building, I love this because he was, uh, you know, a farmer by trade. And when he retired, he built a home in the city. I'm like, it's Weston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I go that far, but yeah. for him, of course, you know, at the time, and he was a staunch Democrat. And so democratic politics, as we know, Kansas city, um, you have somebody like Harry S. Truman who quickly rose in the ranks. And, and thanks to a guy named Boss Tom Pendergast, right, rose to the ranks. And when he stayed in this home and we were walking through it and it's now their dining room, which is a pretty impressive dining room. And, and they've done a great job of kind of incorporating old with new. Um, someday they will probably have trouble putting it on the National Register because it has been so altered. Mm -hmm. But in any case, in 1936, uh, it, Harry S. Truman was only county commissioner at the time. But he, I love it because it's like, I, there were hotels in Weston, but no, instead I'm going to stay with the rich Democrat in town and be entertained. And now there's this story forever and ever and ever that Harry S. Truman stayed in the parlor. They didn't even give him a bedroom. He stayed in the parlor. Well, and, and, and today, if, the, if you would have said to somebody, okay, you have a chance to go and, and, you know, kind of, you know, go out and press the flesh, if you will, and you're going to stay with this donor and that donor and the next yeah. donor, you probably look at him and go, no, I'm, I'm going to stay at the Marriott. Thank you. And you're going to book a room there. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's now strictly hotels. People wouldn't even think probably to do something no. like that today. No. And I think that's true because we politicians, well, I mean, in general, the politicians are now celebrities. In, in, a, in a way. And yeah. even the county commissioner, you know, at the time wouldn't have had that cloit that we give politicians today. I mean, Harry S. Truman is one of my favorite stories about him is when he returned from the White House, there was no parade in Kansas City welcoming him. Like he drove up and went into his house. <laughs> it was like, that's it. Rain is over. I mean, it, so it was just a different dynamic. Another great story about him is that 
when, uh, you know, he was alive when they chose to build, you know, the library in Independence instead of Grandview, which that's a whole different story. But he really wanted it in Grandview. But Independence gave the incentive to Mm -hmm. have it in Independence. And of course, he was, you know, living in Independence at the time. But I love that even after the library opened, he would sometimes answer the switchboard operator. Like he would call, oh, wow. like like when he, when people would call the museum, like to make an appointment or do whatever, Harry S. Truman was talking to them and they wouldn't even know it. Like that tells you the difference in what we consider politicians and celebrities today. And especially people like Harry S. Truman who never really, they were never like that. If You know what I mean? Like they weren't looking for the fame. They were in it for, you know, the, the public service, if you will. Right. That, that's but, pretty awesome. Isn't that crazy? I yeah. know. Who knew? I mean, how, how cool is that, though? You, you're called the presidential library. Like Bill Clinton's not sitting in his library. Obama's not sitting in his or Bush's in his. Well, answering the phone never right be now. in the library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that library is going to be built, but I'm pretty sure he won't be sitting there answering the phone uh, and, and helping people check out books. I just <laughs> I just think that that's the way to do it, though. I mean, once a public servant, always a public servant. Right. I think that's kind of like how Harry Truman was. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a crazy story. And I, I, I know that the curator of the museum actually was one who told me that. And, and it really kind of matches to the personality. So, you know, for Weston and having a, a city or county commissioner come and stay at the time, nobody would have cared it was Harry S. Truman. No one knew who he was at the time. But it, within 10 years, the guy's vice president and then president, you know, by default, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, that story is going to continue on because that home stayed in the family for a while. And so it wouldn't have been just like, oh, we, we think he stayed. It was like, no, we, we were there. Like, it was him. It was him. He yeah. just wasn't. Nobody thought a county commissioner was going to end up being president of the United States, though, either. So, right, right, exactly. um, but I mean, still, I don't think a county commissioner today would be like, let me look up and see who are the biggest donors in the area. I'm going to stay in their parlor. Not <laughs> so, a chance. No, no. I'll, I'll stay at the Holiday Inn Express. Like I exactly. said, the Marriott. Give me someplace, you know, where, where I'm by myself and I've got a private room and I don't have to have, you know, some family looking at me going, hello, how are you? So, I mean, I just, but, I mean, it's so awkward back then. Well, and even Harry S. Truman, when he, um, for his second election, the one he actually ran for, if you will, um, he th- he left downtown Kansas City Hotel Mulebach and, and, and traveled up to Excelsior Springs to the Elms Hotel and stayed there while the, erect- the election results were coming in. Went to bed, mm-hmm. had a glass of milk, woke up the next day, found out he was president. It's just a different, can you imagine today that happening? Like, I'm going to eat my PB&J and drink a glass of milk listen to the election returns on the radio, go to bed, see what happens in the morning. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're definitely not doing that. So, so how did like you, you look at Weston and, and it's probably one of those things that people will debate for years on how it, you know, got its name, how it got to be what it is today. You had talked about in your, in your article about, you know, native Americans kind of finding it, mm-hmm. but also maybe getting the name because it may have been the Western most place you could go until you had to cross the river to, to continue uh, Westward in America in the early days. Yeah. So Kansas city, as we know, we've talked lots about the founding of Kansas city. It was still fledgling at this point. And so what makes Missouri grow is you can't settle legally until you, of course, divvy out things by county. And also the Native Americans had the land at the time. So in 1836, the Sac and Fox tribe owned most of the land in the northern part of Missouri, northwestern Missouri. And they ceded their lands and they created different counties out of it, of course. And that would be Platt. It's called the Platt Purchase. Yep. No shocker there. So you got Platt, Clay County, Atchison, Andrew, Nottaway, Buchanan counties. So like St. Joe, I mean, it goes all the way up to the northern border. So 
at the time, Fort Leavenworth is going to be the nearest thing. And really, Fort Leavenworth, people don't maybe look at the map when they're driving unless they're looking at their GPS. But Fort Leavenworth is just across the river from West End. Mm -hmm. And so that is the oldest settlement in Kansas. And it's founded in 1827, obviously, as a fort. <laughs> and, and the guy who creates that came from Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis area. And it was an active, it's the, um, I, I didn't know this when I was researching this stuff. It's today, it's the second oldest active military post west of the Capitol. I mean, and it's now kind of considered like the intellectual place to go. So if you're like a military scholar, you're probably stationed in Fort Leavenworth, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, when it was founded or when Weston, the plat purchase was going on before Weston was founded, um, uh, and William Clark, as in Lewis and Clark. He was actually in Fort Leavenworth staying there to make sure that the deal went through. And of course it did. And so, you know, Fort Leavenworth is really important in our history because in 1830, it uh, was a station for the Indian Removal Act. It was a post along the Santa Fe Trail. That's why it was located there. And so when there's an army dragoon, and I love this because, you know, he's single. I don't know. He's single for sure. A, a dragoon. dragoon. <laughs> yeah. Is that how you pronounce dragon? No, you got to add an O. Oh, Dragoon. So what is an <laughs> Army Dragoon? Oh, they would have been military fighters that would have been stationed at Fort Leavenworth. Most of, if not all, were bachelors. Mm -hmm. And so he's stationed there. And apparently, this is one of the stories, Joseph Moore, so no name attached to Weston, of course. He is at Leavenworth and he buys the site in 1837. So this is right after, a year after um, the Platte Purchase. And it said that he bought it from an Indian trader for a barrel of whiskey. Oh, come on now. You're not buying land for a barrel of whiskey. Are, are you willing to give up a plot of land for some whiskey? But nobody's living there yet. So like it was just be for farming purchases, but this guy apparently was thinking outside the box. And this is story one, by the way. Now we do know that it was Thomas, like the, for sure it's Joseph Moore. Like we know that for a fact, that's the fact. But where this barrel of whiskey thing comes in, that is, I'm sure, pure conjecture. <laughs> but, yeah, but but it's kind of a, a, a subplot, if you will, to like, I don't want to say what Weston is all about, but there's a right. big distillery business up it there is. in Weston, and, right? Yes. And, and that kind of does play in because, I mean, whiskey, I want to be clear, whiskey, we had some whiskey when we were up there, Bob. Sure, we did. Fun. Yep, we, we did. did. We had a good time. Yeah, it was really nice. But the like whiskey was the frontier trading. And I want to say trade, especially the it, also known as firewater, um, was the trading mechanism if needed for Indian commodities. So Native Americans found themselves to like the whiskey a lot, which became an issue and mm -hmm. still is an issue on reservations today. Um, they seem to like the whiskey a lot. And so they use that as a trading mechanism for sure for different. And that does play into some whiskey history here. Um, and so, you know, who knows? I mean, because there, as you said, it is kind of known as a whiskey town, or I should say a liquor town. And that has to do with Ben Holiday. And mm -hmm. he's got a great story too to attach to him. Joseph Moore wouldn't have known Ben Holiday at that point. Ben Holiday was a kid, but he came from Kentucky. He's born in the 1820s in, in Kentucky. And he comes with his family as a young kid. He ends up being the first postmaster of Weston. And what's cool is he's kind of an enterprising guy. He sees all these wagon trains. He sees all this stuff happening. Weston is the port. And to be clear, you know, with this founding of Weston and not sure how it got its name, it could have been 
West town because it was the furthest town West of the, I, I mean, essentially in the United States until Texas became a state. Right. Um, so that could be it. But in 1850, it said that the population was 5,000. That's a lot. That's a Way big more deal. than Kansas city at the yeah. time. Yeah. And it was the port. It was the port. So it was bigger than Kansas city at the time. And it was the second largest port um, on the Missouri river next to St. Louis. So this guy, who works as a hosteler. So he's essentially helping with the travel, you know, these stopping off points, the jumping off point, if you will, from the Santa Fe trail, one of the, one of the jumping off points and the riverboats. And so Ben holiday first postmaster ends up going to business with his brother and they start the holiday distil- distillery company. And, and mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is that his brother, David, they found a limestone spring and it was being used as a meat packing house. They're like, well, we have a better use for this. Screw the meat. Give me the whiskey. That's and right. so they decided to go ahead and, and uh, it had a better use, which was bourbon or whiskey. And they it was said when they were founded in 1856, they were selling whiskey for $5 a gallon. Wow. <laughs> like, I wish we had that deal today. Yeah. I don't know what the quality is here, of course. But in any case, they say also that they would trade with Native American customers. Beaver pelt, like you give me the beaver pelt. And I'll give you two swigs of whiskey. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, so again, you can see what kind of you know marketing and and what was important at the time. Um, he ends up going out west and becomes the stagecoach king. Um, in 1864, he was the uh, the largest independent employer in the entire United States. Holy cow! This, this is Holiday. Ben Holiday. Yes, stagecoach king. Wow. He was the founder of the Overland route of the, so, so essentially the Western expansion, mm-hmm. he ends up having a mail contract with the United States that he had to pay over a million dollars a year for, because that's how much business he was doing. This guy was loaded. And, and here's the thing. He starts with whiskey. Whiskey was kind of like the rock gut, if you will, of the time I would disagree. You know, we would definitely argue today. That is not true, right? but he liked the finer things in life. So he started drinking like champagne and, and scotch. And when an, an average meal at the time would cost like 25 cents, you know, mm-hmm. he had parties for that would cost 10 grand. Oh, my God. Oh. I mean, he had houses in D.C. He had a, a in White Plains, New York. He had a mansion up there and he had this. And then the panic of 1873 happened and he lost everything. So wow. back in Weston, his brother was still working the distillery, essentially. And they stayed in the family, I think, until like 1895 or something like that. And became, a, you know, gets bought a bunch of times, blah, blah, blah. And then in 1942, it changes its name to McCormick, which mm-hmm. you know, I kind of shudder a little bit on that. But McCormick. Right. And then in 1993, it gets new ownership and decides in 2006 to resurrect the holiday brand. And they started making whiskey again. So ah, there you okay. go. Yeah, because yeah. You know, I remember being in college and if you didn't have enough money, you, you got McCormick's that night. I mean, like that was yeah. the, that was the kind of the, 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 the cheapest you could buy. You know, back in the handle. day in college, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got a lot. <laughs> gotta go for buy a, a handle. Yeah, that's right. You got handle, a lot. Eleven ninety nine. And now McCormick has, as you said, adopted the holiday distillery name, and they are they're putting out some amazing stuff right now. Like they've kind of done. They really are. I don't want to say a one eighty, but they 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 were kind of ahead of the the whiskey craze, if you will, in the United States, going back yeah. to two thousand six. People still weren't in the 
in the craze of all the good different kinds of trying stuff, people just, uh, just give me a bottle of Jack or a bottle of Jim Beam or right. whatever. But th- those guys started earlier than everybody else. And their product has come a very long way. And they're doing some amazing things up there right now. They really are. And and, and also the town is doing a really great job. In, and I know you would agree with me. We met that kid. I'm going to call him a kid because he was a kid to us. Um, who was just like his whole life is whiskey. Yeah. And not like in a creepy way, like in a Diane Houston wine rep kind of way, like super into the the way it's made and what makes it. And I mean, he was giving trouble to those people near us. There were some guys ordering like sweet. Well, I don't even know. What they were ordering was. screwball, which I love. I, oh, I, I love know. screwball. They ordering goes, oh, that's not real whiskey. You can't have that. And I, this guy and was telling like, us he reads three books a week or something on whiskey yes. at the shop in downtown Weston. It's it's the, uh, what is it? The Irish uh, store that they yeah, have. Yeah, the Irish there. store in the back. I can't remember. The yeah, name you go to the yeah. back and then if you're lucky enough, like we were able to do, go up the stairs and, and have, you know, whiskey samplings. They got hundreds of different whiskeys. You almost need a whiskey ambassador like that to tell you, you what everything is about and, and yes. you know, to help you try stuff. And what's really cool about whiskey versus wine is that you can have a bottle open. You yes. know what I mean? Like you can have everything open to try because mm-hmm. you can't do that with wine because no, um, no. it'll go bad for sure. So it's not like you have to order a bottle of whiskey in order to try it. And and yeah, it was very interesting. There was this winding staircase and we went up there and your wife got cut off by him and she was mm-hmm. very upset, but ended up getting up there. Um, but it was really cool. And I think that that kind of shows, I think Weston's doing a really good job finding their niche in the market. You know, like they kind of have this whiskey and this tobacco history, if you will, hemp history. And they're really, especially with hemp being a big thing now and tobacco and uh, all of the cigar making, all of those things are still culturally important to the town in order to survive because they survive off tourism. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you live in Weston and you're operating a store on Main Street, your customer is not the person who lives four doors up. Your customer is Kansas City. Right. So, or, or people who want to come in from a weekend. Maybe you're coming in from St. Joe yeah. or St. Louis or Des Moines or Omaha or someplace like that, because it is such a really cool town and there really is a lot to do there. And, and they really have embraced it well. I mean, you know, you, you, you talk about like the whiskey revolution. Weston has kind of, you know, grabbed that and said, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And they've done an amazing job of kind of carving out that niche, if you will. And, and people all around Kansas City now know, oh, yeah, Weston's a pretty cool place. And even Abraham Lincoln knew it was a pretty cool place because I, there was a there was a time where he may have been living in Weston, Missouri. Oh, that you you shoot a little far there, Bob, on that assessment. But he does have a connection to Weston, which is pretty cool. So, and interesting that a couple years ago, pre-pandemic, there was a homes tour, and one of the houses on it was called the Lincoln's Other Mary House. And I'm like, what is this? And I had done research on it because I wrote about it then. And, you know, and then now I know the owner very well and so proud of this history. And it's the craziest and it's a great story. So we have to tell this one. So this house still stands and it's not a huge home, but it sits kind of above the street because of grading. That's what happens. And, um, you know, history books tell us that Abraham Lincoln's first love was Anne Rutledge. And then she died in 1835 and he was heartbroken. But then he meets this beautiful young lass. (laughs) No, that's what they were called back in the day. The term <laughs> "lass" was a very common term. It was, and I don't Lads know. Lads and lasses. Beautiful. I know. I don't know if she was that beautiful. To be clear, because just get this, Bob. I I'm saving this for you. You're hearing this for the first time on air. You know, on this podcast. So I can't wait for your reaction. So he met her, Mary Owen. She was from Kentucky, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, she was from Kentucky, and she was born in 1808. 
he meets her in 1833 in New Salem, Illinois. He's just a lawyer, you know, and he's she's visiting her sister and her sister has this plot because the sister wants her to move to Illinois. So he, she's like, if she gets engaged to a guy who lives in Illinois, she'll move. Right. Mm-hmm. So th- he meets her like three years earlier when he, uh, you know, meets at her sister's home and he agrees. He's like, sure. Cool. All right. I'll marry you. That's how things work back then. And, and, and what happens is he hadn't seen her. So they write back and forth, you know, letters and all that. He hadn't seen her for three years. And then he comes back in the fall of 1836 to like pick up his last. <laughs> this is so bad. And when he saw her, she wasn't what he remembered at all. Oh. And so he says, he, he says, I mean, there's letters, like this is documented that she was like, she gained some weight. And um, he remembered her being a little chunky when, I met her, when he met her the first time. But now, you know, I guess she got heavier. And then he, rem- she, he wrote to his friend that, he, that she now reminded of him of his mother. Oh. And he said, I'm quoting now, her skin was too full of fat to permit its con- contracting into her wrinkles. And she Abraham was- Lincoln wrote this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Missing teeth. Yeah, that's a he big was, deal. Yeah. Oh well, back in those days, that's why people didn't smile. Let's Man. come on now. And then he says, "In short, I was not at all pleased with her." Oh wow! What? Well, it's, by the way, as a female, mm, it's not like Lincoln was, you know, on the cover of GQ. Well, I was going to say Lincoln wasn't exactly the the. He, he wasn't me. Let's just put it that way, right? <laughs> oh my God! I wish. I wish your wife were here to comment. Well, she just roll her eyes and walk out the room. That is true. That's exactly what she would do. Oh my God. How rude is that though? I yeah. mean, and the fact that it's Abraham Lincoln. I mean, he said it so eloquently, but still he, what a jerk. And so he's not pleased to her. So, so essentially he's like, and I'm going to head out now. And so he keeps writing her because he is man. Men had their commitments. There was no breaking engagements back in these days. It's like you said you were, you're gonna, you mm-hmm. know? And so he goes back and forth for a while. And he, I mean, it, he was mortified is what he said. And so what happens is that she writes him and says, I want to break the engagement. Wow. That's very so like not normal for the time. Found somebody else. Good for her. I know. And by the way, if you look at pictures of her and you look at him, she was not, I mean, she doesn't look that bad for one mm. and two. It's not, I mean, and not to, you know, give trouble to Mary Todd Lincoln, but you know, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, like, are you, what are you expecting to marry a fashion model? I'm not really sure. So he, he, she ends up rejecting him. And he says in letters, he says like, whoops about that one. Like I, I'm the one who looked like a fool in the end. So he knew because he, you know, he was, he was the one who essentially was kind of being a jerk. And then she's the one who was like, bam, found somebody else. Good for her. Yeah, I know. Go Mary. So Mary ends up meeting Jesse Vineyard in 1842. They get married same year that Abraham Lincoln marries Mary Todd. And um, he dies Confederate. You know, they were attached to the Confederacy. That's the other thing is that Mm -hmm. you can imagine what she was thinking at the time. Look at what my my ex is doing over here as my sons are fighting in the Confederacy. So in any case, she moves to Weston. Um, She was living on a farm with her family. So she ends up you know, marrying and then moving to Missouri into the Western area. 
And after her husband dies in 1862, she moves into a home in down, you know, close to downtown Weston. Mm-hmm. And um, the house is on Walnut Street. And it still stands today. So I've been inside of it. Um, we ran short of time. We were going to go inside of it. And uh, it's just a cool story. So Lincoln Southern Mary's, she, her house still stands. Um, she died in 1877. The people that live in the home, of course, embrace the history of the house and also tell the story about him being a jerk face to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked around and I found one of the only letters that survives. There's letters in Lincoln's papers, but one of the only letters that's out independent from you know this thing that survives, that's a letter to Mary Owens from Lincoln is from 1836. And it's for sale right now. If you want to buy it, it's $375,000. The house or the letter? The letter. Oh, 375K for a letter. Can you get a 30-year mortgage on that? How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, oh man, Lori, who owns the home now, she should she should have that letter. Well, $375,000. Who has the letter? Where do you purchase this? Thing? It's on, It's. I just looked it up on the internet. Some buyer, some you know dealer in antiques. I don't know how he has it. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, how did that happen? I yeah. always wonder that. Like, you know, I, I always feel really sad, especially going into stores and stuff like antique stores. And they have, you know, lots of different heirlooms and things that at one point were really important to families. And what really, really irritates me is when I see photos, that really makes me mad because that was someone's family. And yeah. somebody went, eh. Let's throw this away. And so then some antique store buys it up and then, you know, they're not labeled on the back and some of them are labeled. I back when I had a lot more time on my hands, which is not the case these days, I used to buy those photos and then try to track down the families and then report oh. them to them. Oh, that's pretty kind cool. Of, you know, because just because, you know, so-and-so's great grandson doesn't care doesn't mean that the great, great nephew doesn't. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, so it, that makes me sad. I want to know, like, what happened to Mary Owen's family, like, after, because of course, by the time she dies, Lincoln had already been president. He'd been assassinated. You know, it's going to be worth something. Yeah. Did they, like, take her stuff and, like, sell it off? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. There's but no the, documentation. The best part about that house, though, is that it's like walking distance to uh, to the pub down the street. It's uh, walking <laughs> distance. What is it? Oh, is it O'Malley's down there? Is that the name? Yeah. Of the pub? Yeah. The underground bar. Yeah. It's it's yeah. right in walking distance. That hell, I'm, everything in Weston is within walking distance. That's true, and I'm sure that's exactly why Mary purchased that home so she could be near the, the, the saloon. Well, that's where you got all your news <laughs> of the day, booze and journalism. I mean, who knew it went back to the old days, right? I mean, we, we actually learned that in journalism history. Tom W. Volek, my professor up there. KU. That was one of the deals, booze and journalism. That, that's how he sold journalism history to us. Everybody got drunk and talked about the events of the day. And that's actually true too, because there's a, I don't know if you've ever read Goalie Town. Mm-hmm. It's a great, it's a historical fiction about Kansas City. And Goalie Town also kind of stages that this guy working for the Kansas City newspaper got a start in the saloons. And then that was how he got his news. That's how he yeah. figured out what was happening and where to go is to go hang out in the pub. That's right. You, know? <laughs> you learn everything in a bar. Everybody's that's- got a connection. Everybody knows somebody and everybody's talking. That's and the more I'm- they drink, the more they're talking. That's why you and I just know everything. That's right. We're drunks. <laughs> yes. So lo- local drunks, Diane and Bob. So long story short, Weston's an awesome place. Get up there and visit Weston. Yes. Weston is just an incredible place that you, you can just walk along the streets. You can, you know, simply walk past the building and not really know its connection to the greater history of our country. You walk down Main Street and miss the fact that a building used to be where Buffalo Bill Cody lived. 
which is also in West End. Yeah. There are stories everywhere. And the best part is, is these people embrace their history so much, especially at Christmas time. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to be on Lifetime if anybody wants to watch the Lifetime movie December 23rd. is set in, in West End. Um, it's such a quaint little town. And what makes it so cool is that even if they're transplant people that have moved to West End to open a business or whatever downtown, is that they all embrace their history. And so everyone has a story that they're willing to share. It's pretty remarkable to think that the growth of our country had such an impact here in the Kansas City area, and things really spread outward to the West from right here in Kansas City and Weston. There's so much history up in Weston. Do yourself a favor. Go up there for the day and enjoy it like we do. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 